Magyanatmirandasyaginamjanasalakya Takshunilitam Jinatashmishri Guravinam Nam Shrishtam Manumapi Satriputram Matrasarupam Rupam Tasyagrajamuru Purim Matrim Gustavatim Radha Kundan Giribaramaho Radhikamadhavasam Prapto Yasya Pratita Gripaya Shri Guram Tamnatushmi Panchakalpataru Vyasya Gripasindubhyaivacha Paditanam Pavane Vyuvaishnavibhyanamonamaha Nikhila Shruti Mali Ratnamala Diti Nirajita Padapankajanta Aji Mukta Kulai Rupashamanam Paritashtam Harinam Samshrayami Anare Pitacharim Chirat Karunayabatirana Kalu Shamar Paitamunatoj Balarasam Savakti Shriam Hari Puratasam Dara Sandi Pitaha Sadharidaye Kandhadesh Puratova Satinandana Ajana Lambita Bujo Kanaka Badato Sankirtanaikapitaro Kamalaya Takshum Vishwambaro Dwi Jabaro Jugadharma Palu Andi Jagat Priyakuro Karunavataro Ladini Shakti Sharupaya Gauranga Suridayacha Bhakta Shakti Pradhanaya Gadadharanamastate he Krishna Karuna Sindho Dina Bandho Jagatpate Gupesha Gupika Kantaradha Kantanamastate Radhi Brindavanadhishi Karunam Vahini Kripayani Japadabja Dasyan Mahyam Pradiyatam Bhaktya Bihinaya Paradha Lakshay Kiptashtakamaditarangamadhye Kripamayitvam sharanam prapanam Vrinde in maste charanar vindam Vrinde in maste charanar vindam Shri Satinandan Gaurhari ki jai Shri Shri Gaurnitinanda ki jai Shri Shri Gaurgadadarji ki jai Shri Harinam Prabhu ki jai Ananta Koti Vaishnavrinda Ki Jai Gaur Preman Hari Hari Bo So Okay So Pranam to all, welcome Thanks so much for your presence and association And valuable attention and openness To share in Harikata <coughs> Which in itself is an endless project there's never we can never say enough about Bhagavan and that's very clearly established in the scripture so it's it's kind of a desperate attempt we get together to say something about Krishna but the more we say the more we can say and we can never reach an end to that over and over again this is made very clear in Shastra Vedanta Sutsa Shabdat the absolute is he about whom you can never say enough, which of course doesn't mean we should we shouldn't say anything. We should try our best. 
Anantakata, I would have called this. Krishna Kata is Anantakata, it's to talk about the unlimited. And to talk about the unlimited means there's unlimited things to say. So we today we will just pray for touching one single point on this infinite line of whatever we can say in reflection about the divine, the practice of attaining the divine and so on. So today without concluding the series of meetings we had the last days here uh, with Istagosti, which basically means questions and I won't say answers, hopefully answers, but questions and maybe more questions <laughs> as we say these days. Sometimes the best way to reply to some questions is with new questions, uh, or with reflections at least. No? There's always, again, anantakata. So anantakata means even if I give you an answer, that answer is never all that we can say about it. So much can be said. So even if I give you an, an hour answer to one question, at the end I should be humble enough to say, okay, that's the only, the, the little thing I could say today, but this is eternal. <laughs> So this interaction of questions and answers is very typical in our tradition. That's how basically our main shastas are presented. Sambad. You know, sambad means also conversation. Bhagavad Gita is a Sambad. This Krishna Arjuna having a conversation between guru and disciple, an honest, deep conversation. Where Krishna is saying some things, but the crucial questions Krishna is saying some things and the crucial questions of Arjuna are further turning the ocean of Krishna's answers and take him to say something more and something more. Mm. Or the same happens in the Bhagavatam between Parikshit Maharaj and Sukadev Goswami. Mm. As he said the other day, when Parikshit Maharaj requested to Sukadev, please, can you say something about Krishna Lila? No? We are up to the ninth canto. I have seven days to live. Already four has passed. I already have three. My main interest is to hear about Krishna Lila. And four days, more than half has passed and still Krishna Lila has not come. Can you say something about Krishna Lila? And Sukadev Goswami at the end of the ninth canto mentioned, shares two verses summarizing Krishna Lila. Testing the thirst of the student. Now, here I have these two verses. Krishna Lila, that's it. Something else? <laughs> and Pariksi Maras, of course, is please. More, more. <laughs> what can come from these two verses? Because of Pariksimara's insistence, we have the tenth canto of the Bhagavatam, basically. So my point with this is the role of the one who makes the question is so crucial for the one who is given the answer to go further, go further. That's what happened between Mahaprabhu and Roy Ramananda, and the famous Ramananda Sambhad. Ramananda will give an answer, and Mahaprabhu will say, Eho bhagya aggi kahar. That's superficial. Please go deeper. Say more, 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 more until Mahaprabhu put the hand in the mouth of Ramananda. It's like, you are, that's, that's enough for today. We can conclude here. <laughs> so, but that's how the conversation progresses. So I'm saying this to, for you to know that there, all the responsibility is not on my shoulders. It's 50% and 50%. <laughs> I may say something, but your presence, your attention, your questions also are, are crucial to whatever may come as a result of that. Mm. That I have this fancy higher seat doesn't mean that I'm here to, to do the 108% of the whole equation. Mm. So, so that's basically a, a teamwork, listener and speaker 
working together in synergy for a higher purpose to to to, to distill some uh, some nectar even as the Bhagavatam will show when the <laughs> the asuras and the suras are turning the ocean to take the nectar asuras and suras are not precisely the the best friends so but even in that extreme case okay let's work together to extract something that is of our common interest so if suras and asuras can work together for that what to speak vaishnavs and vaishnavs no <laughs> i hope we we, we we will set a better example even on top of that working together to just extract newer and newer levels of this anantagata to bless ourselves to bless the world to please bhagavan so that's it are there any questions something you may like to ask about some topics some some whatever <clears throat> yes i saw the hand <laughs> you have a list of questions oh no it's just <laughs> my mind on the page um the other night when she was talking about how we need to how we run the risk of the society because we in the society runs the risk of if we become too ritualistic we can become irrelevant mm -hmm. to do you remember saying it yeah i don't know if you use the word ritualistic but yeah continue no problem but that we society becomes irrelevant to mm. its audience mm -hmm. um, and we also, we also talked about what are the links and how we probably to talk about that yes. <laughs> just in case <laughs> repeating it <laughs> but yeah yeah we talk um, about that and i was thinking that obviously there needs to be a balance between the reaching out to give this to others and also boiling the milk yeah yeah <clears throat> and I was wondering what your there's, there's a lot the world is in quite a tumultuous situation at the moment and I was wondering how what's your take on how we keep it relevant how we make it relevant in um, sharing of our consciousness at this point in time mm. yeah thank you well, a few thoughts that come to mind. I always like to begin with, before thinking about how to make Krishna consciousness relevant for other people, we should ask how Krishna consciousness is relevant for me. Because in some cases it may not be that relevant. And how do I make it relevant? Because if this is not too relevant for me, how will how I expect that it will be relevant for other people? It all begins with the, before the outreach, it all begins with the enrich. <laughs> Before saving the world, how saved we are. My take, again, you ask for my take. So, of course, I'm not against sharing the message, but the sharing of the message also should happen as a, in my opinion, as a, how to say, as a natural byproduct of me being so full in myself of Krishna consciousness that that starts to overflow me and starts to sprinkle other people. I'm so immersed in my practice and Krishna consciousness becomes so relevant for me that naturally becomes contagious. It's 
and, and, and probably I don't need to say even too many things to the person. It's so contagious that it becomes like epidemic just by seeing the person. That's how Mahaprabhu did many times. No? Mahaprabhu's preaching style was particularly interesting. No? For example, he converted the greatest scholar of the whole planet, Sarvabhoma Bhattacharya. So imagine if, if, if you are on the mission of, okay, you have to convert the greatest scholar on planet Earth to go with the Vaishnavism. Maybe you will start to, okay, what to do, how to begin, how to prepare, or, or probably you will run away just terrified about the, the prospect. So what did Mahaprabhu do? He converted. I mean, it was, it, it was not his intention to convert him, which also is interesting, no? because I wouldn't say we should have the intention of convert everyone to our creed. I mean, that's not my take. It's not everyone needs to be a devotee of the Gaudiya Vaishnava Sampradaya. That maybe speaks about my weak faith and how I need everyone converted for me to be convinced of what I'm doing. <laughs> I need to see the whole world chanting Hare Krishna. That's because of universal compassion or because of weak faith. <laughs> I need all of you chanting so you validate my own faith because I'm not too sure in myself. So I need all of you doing the same thing. Sometimes that can happen. But Mahaprabhu was not trying to convert, but he ended up converting without his intention. And how did he convert the greatest scholar of the whole planet? What did he say? Nothing. <laughs> he was in silence. Mm. He just sat in front of Sarvabhama Bhattacharya for a week. He listened. Listen can be a powerful way of reaching the other person. Sometimes we think, I need to talk to that person about Krishna a lot, so they get it. Sometimes you need to listen from the proper place. And then Mahaprabhu said a few words, it was more like the checkmate. That's it, Sarvamatacharya was an ecstatic Gaudi Vaishnava suddenly. But he was in silence. So there was no prachar. Prachar is what we say, preaching. But actually it was achar. A charm is conduct, presence. The presence of Mahaprabhu was enough. The presence of a powerful per personality is enough. And it's very interesting. I always go to these two words. I mentioned them in my, in my book on radical personalism. Achar, prachar. The word prachar includes achar. It's pra achar. So prachar we translate as preaching. But actually, prachar means pra-achar. Pra means a very special type of. And achar means conduct or behavior. So prachar means actually a very special type of behavior. And that we translate as preaching. <laughs> you follow the point? So, so preaching doesn't necessarily mean saying something, but having a very special type of behavior that in some cases it's so special that even you don't need to say anything. <laughs> And you convert to the biggest jnani pandit in the whole planet. <laughs> so that's prachar. If you take the achar, as, as I like to make a play of words, if you take achar out of prachar, you only are left with PR, public relationships. <laughs> that's public relationship. That's not real preaching. But sometimes it got reduced to that. <laughs> public PR, public relation. No. Pra-achar, very special type of... So we have a very special achar, very special deep 
culture of bhajan in Krishna Bhakti, again, we become so filled with that that this starts like to overflow, overflow, starts to sprinkle and become contagious to others. For me, that's the most so to say, effective way of sharing the message. Not so much, I'm not so convinced myself, but I'm trying to convince you. That's like, <laughs> doesn't sound too natural. No? <laughs> it has to be more like an extension of, of, of unconditional love to other person. You have to give that person, not so much a book, you have to give that person an experience of unconditional love. That's way more transforming. That, that's for me more... Uh, I mean, you can give the book. I'm not against giving the book, but my point is, from which place you're giving the book? Because we have heard about many, even, like, tactics to give the book <laughs> and to get the money or to get more money. And, and sometimes people feel that. They take the book, they give the money, and they throw the book there. I, I cannot tell you how many times I heard devotees tell me that they, people that they found books of the devotees in the trash bin. Of course, some of them became devotees by finding those books there. <laughs> But my point is sometimes uh, just giving the book is not enough. No? What is enough is giving our hearts from a place of real acceptance and unconditionality and compassion. That's what really touches the heart of other person. So, <clears throat> so that's the beginning of my answer in connection to the importance of how relevant is Krishna consciousness for me and from which place I'm practicing. Uh, Krishna consciousness is the main duty of Krishna Bhakti. Our main service is not preaching. Our main service is to develop pure love. That's the ultimate service. Preaching is just an, a byproduct of that. I'm so full that that sprinkles others. At first, I'm so full. The goal of life is not to distribute books. The goal of life is to develop Krishna Prem. I, got, I have nothing against distributing books. Don't take me wrong, but... We have to put the priorities in place. In Golok Brindavan, there will be nobody to preach. <laughs> so the goal of life has to be something that continues happening for eternity. Mm. Because if not, we can get like over-concerned with external expansion and we forget about the internal expansion. And the external expansion becomes an excuse not to do the internal work of expansion. And of course, it's way more difficult to work on the internal expansion. <laughs> it's way more difficult to save yourself than to try to save the world. In one sense, it's easier. Let's go and save the world. But what about you? How saved you are? So for me, this is important to, to balance all the things. And, uh, and again, the relevance. How relevant is Krishna Bhakti for me? Hopefully it is, of course, but it's not just yes and no. There are so many degrees. Like I, I begin my book writing on, okay, there's people who stay in Krishna consciousness, there's people who leave Krishna consciousness, and there's people who stay in Krishna consciousness for the right reasons. There's people who stay in Krishna consciousness for the wrong reasons. So we want to stay for the right reasons. Because sometimes we can just stay because of, I don't know, social advantages, position, perks, money, followers, kijais, a certain dose of daily kijais, no? <laughs> you name it. No? And that means to remain as a devotee for the wrong reasons. So we, we want to remain for, for the right reasons. Some people live 
take a distance from the devotees being terrified by certain things and some people stay as a devotee for those same things <laughs> that make other people leave. <laughs> so what's worse in that case? No? So we want to stay for the right reasons. And for that we have to, to take some time to explore also the depths of our tradition, to know what the tradition is about, to know what's bhakti, to, to, to become familiar with our uh, siddhanta as much as we can. Again, this is not an intellectual project, but also for some reason we have so many books. It's not only about distributing books, but it's about reading them. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and distributing the content of the book inside of me. How distributed are the books inside of me, so to say? <laughs> so so, so that's, that's important, to keep bhakti relevant for us, to, to continue practicing from a place of excitement, from a place of chamatkar, in the language of aesthetics, from a place of astonishment, from a place of renewal, like, like rediscovering your own tradition not just like ending up like mechanically following a formula. I don't feel anything, but what to do? It's, it's what I'm supposed to be doing, copy-paste. And at one point, it's, it's like lifeless. It becomes just like more... So that's not relevant for us. So how, how we expect other people will take this as relevant if I myself, I, I'm bored to death. <laughs> so we have to be very open to keep the process exciting and for that of course we need to keep proper association that that keeps reminding us Krishna consciousness is eternal is deep is ever unfolding ever evolving it's not a static thing I learned it one day and already know what it is and now I repeat to others and that's it that's how it works right <laughs> it's ever new ever ever fresh the other day I was reading I was reading one quote by Prabhupada that I will share with you, with or without your permission. So Sila Prabhupada saying, um, mm, now I have to remember where, where that is. Give me one second. Hmm. I take all these notes and then the point is to find them. <laughs> so, mm. so I won't find it today. Anyhow, Prabhupada was talking about the the nature of Krishna consciousness as being ever fresh, ever evolving and how the devotees should be experiencing an ever-fresh and ever-evolving day-to-day. Hmm. Oh, here it is. <laughs> I will read it, it's brief. It's coming from the, the Nectar of Devotion. Prabhupada says, Krishna is always remembered, and his name is always chanted by millions of devotees, but the devotees never become saturated. Instead of becoming disinterested in thinking of Krishna and enchanting his holy name, the devotees get newer and newer impetus to continue the process. Not the same, newer and newer. Therefore, Krishna is ever fresh. Not only Krishna himself, but also Krishna's knowledge is ever fresh. 
Bhagavad Gita, which was imparted 5,000 years ago, is still being read repeatedly by many, many men, and still new light is always being found in it. Therefore, Krishna is, and his name, fame, qualities, and everything in relationship to, with him is ever fresh. So just to, don't forget that important point, no? because sometimes we, we take to see things like ever fresh at one point, and then it just like becomes always the same thing. No? <laughs> Something that is ever fresh, extraordinary, tends to be seen as static instead of ecstatic. An ordinary, oh yeah, I know what Krishna consciousness, I, we take, we end up taking Krishna consciousness for granted. Like, oh yeah, I know, I, yeah, I know, I know that. Yeah, Krishna, yeah, the holy name, Japa, Prasha, Kija, Jai, Jai, Jai. <laughs> but we lose sight of how alive that is, you know, how ever unfolding, ever expanding that is. So we need to, to make that relevant for us, to keep that relevant for us. And in connection to how, apart from that, to how to make that relevant for others, well, yeah, we live in a very particular chapter of, of planet Earth, so to say. <laughs> uh, and each chapter has its own thing. There are, all, there are also interesting things happening. It's not that everything is negative. I mean, I'm not the type of person that everything is worse than ever. There are things that are better than before. And there are things that are worse than before. It's a mixture of stuff. <laughs> but very specific things are happening. We were talking about that in to, today in the class in the morning. I think some unique challenges come in terms of social dynamic situation. We're talking about technology today, for example. We're talking about artificial intelligence and stuff like that, gender issues and stuff like that. So things that become like topics in the in the secular narrative. So if you are addressing someone from this world you have to be at least familiar with with what's going on and how to apply our knowledge to that and for that you have to think because in the Bhagavatam you don't have a specific treatise on uh, how to deal with the consumption of pornography in, social, in, in, in your cell phone that's not in the Bhagavatam Li directly of course in a general way you have principles that you have to apply to that particular situation but you have to think how to apply that to that particular situation. Hmm? Or gender issues, and so many things that are happening. I won't go into the details now, and each one is in your own particular social dynamics that if you are trying to address some audience, you have to address them from where they are. Well, you cannot just come and say, impose your knowledge on them, and I don't care for whatever you are going through, and just swallow it. Well, here comes the magic pill. Some people will think, like, that's not... That's not relevant. No. How you, would you have to tell to give me will help me in my particular situation? And you will ask, so what's your particular situation? And they will give you like a probably very complex array of <laughs> things that maybe you never thought about. And you are like, wow, I need to get educated about this first. As, as much as he could, Prabhupada did that before coming to, to the West. It is said that he will go to these tea shops and try to get the the newspapers that people will leave on the table just to have a glimpse of what's going on in that planet called United States, <laughs> no, which is, was like another planetary system at that time. Because remember, there was no globalization and internet. So, so he would read the... To have an idea no, in his mind, okay, I'm going to that place. What's that place about? 
he will ask people. And when he will arrive to the United States, still he was kind of surprised. Like, what's this? No, he will. I remember he will send some letter to to Sri Lanka Maharaj, and he will say like, here in the United States, everyone has a car, and everyone drives their own car, and because at that time in India you only had a car if you were had lots of money, and you had a chauffeur. Chauffeur, you say chauffeur? Yeah, yeah. So you didn't drive your own car. But in the States, he was like, everyone has a car here. And everyone is driving, like, like a child surprised with. And at night, all the lights are on here. <laughs> so he was kind of this exploring this new planet, literally. No? But he was open to, to understand what's going on here. No? And he will ask from his disciples, give me some feedback. Of course, many of his disciples were also very young, so we're not like, fully adult, mature people that can give some very accurate advice or certain things. So, but he worked with the tools he had, so to say. And of course, something very beautiful happened and we are a byproduct of all that. But my point is he struggled to, to empathize with the situation of the audience he was confronting. So, because he wanted to remain relevant. But of course, the audience he confronted at the times Prabhupada was, was 60 years ago from that time to now 60 years of our time our time goes quite fast <laughs> 60 years 2000 years ago maybe there's not too much time too much change in 60 years now in 60 years you have the the, the, the quantity of change that a few thousand years ago will happen in in 2000 years, you have this amount of change, you have now the same amount of change in 60 years now. <laughs> so we have to be very careful not to, not to address the world in the same way that Prabhupada did. Not because Prabhupada was wrong, just that the world changed so much. <laughs> Do you think that Prabhupada will be doing and saying the exact same thing he did 60 years ago? <laughs> I don't think so. So sometimes they want to ask like, well, Prabhupada said, Prabhupada said, and yeah, he said many things. The question is what he will be saying now. And, and the, the answer to the question is whatever Prabhupada will be saying now, it's up to us to say it. <laughs> because that's parampara. You have to represent the previous acharyas in the present moment yourself. You have to take some responsibility. So for those who are engaged in this Srila Siddha Maharaj will call relief work of extending the message to others in one way or another. I will personally suggest yeah, making some conscious effort to, to be informed and educate about the world situation. And again, that's in itself is a it's a tapasya. <laughs> it may not be as as relish as a relish as okay, I I will go, I will delve into Krishna Lila. I'll have to to understand new paradigms, new ways of thinking, many of them are quite dysfunctional. Uh, it's not a sense enjoyment precisely to enter into that. But if you do it with the spirit of compassion to be able to empathize with others, okay, that, that expands our hearts in terms of compassion and understanding. So, and it's important to listen to the people. If you want to remain relevant, you listen to what people say. Even with the devotees, again, I, I, that's that's what I tell sometimes. Elder devotees ask, 
Like how how do we how do we keep Krishna consciousness relevant for the younger generations? And the first thing that comes to my mind is listen to them. <laughs> first listen to them. Don't be so concerned about what should we tell them. First listen ask them, listen to them. Make them feel that their opinion matters, that they have a voice. Now, don't make them feel like Oh, you are young, you don't know anything. We are the experienced ones and so we will tell you what to do. That doesn't work. That won't work. No. Listen to them and be willing to learn from them. That's a real elder. Real elders are able to, to learn from, from young people also. It's not that just I'm an elder and everyone has to learn from me. That's not an elder. <laughs> mm. <clears throat> mm. I don't know. That helps. That's what comes to my mind now. Of course, we can say more, but. Well, it's, it's really important. Um, <clears throat> my parents, who are at the moment, maybe uh, after I finish the class this morning, we were talking about that, how we use our philosophy to make it relevant to the, to the current events that we're faced with in the world today. Mm -hmm. And I, well, maybe we, we only have to do that individually. I don't hear even the worldly sources so much. I think that, that we um, use our philosophy to unpack what's happening in the current events. Mm -hmm. And I just wonder whether, you know, there's been a lot going on that isn't quite done. <laughs> and um, I feel like sometimes we can have this tendency to just stick our head in the sand mm -hmm. and think, oh, I'm just going to focus on Krishna, mm -hmm. you know, and, and not address the current events. Mm -hmm. so yeah. That's something I've just wondered. Yeah. Again, it depends, of course, every devotee. Some devotees, if you are a Babaji, uh, Abadud living in a cave and absorbing your bhajan in the Himalayas or in the dam. Okay, you may not need to be invested into <laughs> uh, all these situations because you are serving from another place. But if someone chooses to interact with the world from another position, I mean, I think that we as devotees need also to make sense of the world through our philosophy. We need to make sense of whatever is going on in the world through our philosophy, because somehow, even though we we are devotees and we have our own lifestyle, in some way or another, some those things are affecting us also. We are aware of that. Somehow they, I don't know, they affect the education of our children, or I don't know. Today we were talking about social media. I mean, I, I think all of, all of you use social media. It's, it's not like, oh, but I am a devotee. Yeah, but you use social media. <laughs> Which is okay, I'm not condemning that, but there are so many things attached to the use of social media beyond your mere use of social media <laughs> that you need to be aware and you need to process with our philosophy. We're talking about that today in the morning. We're talking, we have the four regulative principles. We may probably have to inaugurate the fifth regulative principle about how to deal with social media because many times you end up break, breaking the other four in your cell phone. 
So how to interact with that new facet of reality that was not there before and now is in everyone else's pocket? You have to do something about it. It's just not just, oh, keep chanting, it's okay. No, no, you may need to sit and talk about the whole and think and, and have conversations. That's a form of harikata in one sense, of course. <laughs> I'm not saying that's the only form of harikata, but that's not, at least that's not prajalpa, that's not gramya kata. You're not talking about nonsense. No, you're thinking, okay, how to engage with this shakti of Bhagavan, <laughs> material energy in the form of technology, how to engage with this in a way that is contributing, nourishing, instead of distracting and destroying, so to say. And with that, with everything else, no? So... So I think it's our, our responsibility. If I choose to be in the world, if I choose to interact with the world, it's my responsibility to try to understand and address the, whatever is happening in the world through the lenses of our, our knowledge. Because the knowledge that we have has the potential to address all these situations. But we have to, to make some work in thinking about how to do that. No, in this particular case, how to understand that, what to do about this. It takes time. It's, it implies sitting and having sometimes unsettling conversations also about that. <laughs> so I, I personally agree that those are important conversations. And the rest is up to us. No? If we feel that they are not being had, well, maybe we have to start those conversations. It's as simple as that. <laughs> That's what I personally try to do. I feel, okay, there are some things that are not being talked. What, what can I do? Okay, I will write a book about it. And I wrote a book about it. <laughs> uh, still, there are many things that I would like to say. I already finished my book. Okay, let's start a podcast. Let's continue talking about it. The ones who would like to join the conversation, join. And the ones who would like to not join, not join. That's it. <laughs> You will always have both, no? so it's okay. Don't expect everyone joining, but there, there are always people willing to join honest conversations. So. Yeah. I think it's an important part of our... Of course, our sadhana, we chant, we study Bhagavata, we study Shastra, we want to go deep into certain aspects, we serve Guru, Vaishnava. I mean, I'm not saying... Let's replace all that. <laughs> but at the same time, I, I will say most of you are also, you have a family, you work, you, you study, you have kids, you interact with, on certain level you are interacting. We are interacting. Me as a sannyasi also I'm interacting. I don't, I don't live in a cave. I'm interacting with the world. So we have to get the pulse of, 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 of the sidegeist we are living in, no? the times we are living. What, what's going on? No? Not only what's going on with those people who are not devotees <laughs> but what's going on in the world that probably is affecting me as well as a devotee because we shouldn't be that sure that by being a devotee I'm not being touched by anything that is going on in this planet I don't think so <laughs> so if I'm being sprinkled by that what to do about that how to deal with that is that affecting my bhakti or not how to make whatever is going on in the world a cause of further inspiration, compassion, compassionate action in the world. We have to be thinking about that and creative about that. And probably the formulas that were used by previous acharyas in certain time won't work in another time because some of those formulas were very specific to time, place, and circumstance. 
So some of them may need to be updated. And again, we may be the ones who have to think about that. No? Because if it's a little lazy to wait, like, okay, I, I'm waiting just for the Shakti Abhisa avatar to come and enlighten the planet and tell me what to do, and I will join and do it. Maybe Krishna, that's not what Krishna wants. Maybe Krishna wants you to have some initiative. No? And that's, of course, more challenging because generally we want someone else to do the whole thing. <laughs> But it's also important at some time in our life to take certain steps. To If we don't see anyone doing what we feel must be done, then maybe Krishna is making the arrangement to show it clearly. It's your turn now. <laughs> and if we take that step in service, that's humility. It's not that it's arrogance and I feel that I'm better. than No, no, it's, it's in service. And, yeah. Yes. Um, just on carrying on that train of thought, um, when, when uh, people are asked for priests to study the intricacies of any subject, you know, they feel it spoils the fun. Hmm? Implications of any particular thing on hmm. the internet or whatever it may be that someone becomes attracted to or wants to become involved with, if they were to research and analyze all the implications of that, they find it not a good thing because they want to just be involved with that without any strings attached, apparently. Mm -hmm. So then how to present those things to people so that their enthusiasm remains intact, mm -hmm. but they also become aware of the implications simultaneously. Mm -hmm. Well, as, as you may <coughs> imagine, of course, each person is it's a unique universe unto themselves so there's no single way to present something where that will work perfectly for everyone it always for, requires some personalized like accompaniment and, and following so because some people I know people who may get into the details of that and, and they not they don't get attracted to that so to say they okay I, I'll, I'll 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 try to investigate how to deal with this particular issue in the world it's not that by studying that they become like lost into that on the contrary some others yes may <laughs> so we have to to see accordingly to each person um, so yeah if some people is I think we have to give a general idea, a general idea of, okay, these issues in the world, whatever it may be in the current situation of the planet, this is happening. Do, 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 do. Get, a, get a general picture of that. And, and we have to also be intelligent enough as to present that in a commonsensical way so they understand why, I don't know, like social media, for example. Again, we have nothing against that, but <laughs> there are a few issues that we need to be aware of. And you have to present them in a way that people understand, yes, it makes sense what you are saying. No, you are not a fanatical, you are not against that, but you are not naive about that. Mm -hmm. You are not cynical about that. You, know, you are not going to these extremes of being like naive and oh, it's okay, nothing, everything's fine. Or the extreme of cynicism, like everything is bad and let's reject everything. No, you present a very clear picture. This is, these are the pros and cons of potential pros and cons of 
Social media. Sorry to speak just on social media. It's not the only topic. I, I'm not like obsessed with that. No? But it seems to be the topic of today, <laughs> this particular day. Uh, and people, okay, will know about that. And, and I will say, if you make a clear, sound, logical presentation about the pros and cons of something, it gives people tools to, okay, to engage with that situation, with that matter. So if someone would like to investigate more about that thing, I don't think that they will get, they shouldn't get entangled in the whole situation. On the contrary, they should get more, more, and more firm into. Like as I was quoting today in the morning, I read a few books on on how to deal with social media properly. So I don't think that by getting a little bit more into the details of that, I'm getting more entangled in social media. On the contrary, I'm more like aware of how to engage with that, with consciousness, with awareness. So I would say we have to provide tools like that to people. No? We, we can point at, okay, these are the present challenges of our side guests, the present situations in our paradigm in these times we are living. These are the pros, these are the cons, these are our, this is our philosophy, how to engage with our philosophy in these situations. And some people may be interested in going deeper into that, some others not. And we can accompany them and we see how they are dealing. If we see it's, hey, you are getting distracted with that. What's going on? Okay, let's talk about it. <laughs> it requires personal, again, proximity and following the, the situation of the other person. I think that's important. And, and that helps to prevent lots of situations. Yeah. Something else? Uh, cool. Like, yes, sorry. Like you've mentioned a couple of times now how if somebody went to their printer, then they would tell you that, you know, Krishna is an avatar of Vishnu. Okay. Right, right, mm -hmm. Yeah, right. Okay. So on that principle, I've just been trying, I've been thinking about that. Um, but from the aspect of consciousness, so we understand consciousness pervades the living entity, right? And consciousness is very powerful to be in there. Well, it's powerful, and the living entity has its real form of real consciousness, right? So along with that, we understand that the soul, soul accompanies the jiva. And but at the same time, it does seem very realistic that you know quite a number of living entities will not choose to go to Krishna because they may not have that inclination or be attracted. It seems that, you know, we understand that the living, that Krishna's created the living entities for his pleasure, but some people may not actually choose to worship Krishna in his form in Vrindavan. Mm -hmm. So, yeah, it, just, it was just making me think, because initially you have the sense that Krishna consciousness is this, and it's everything. And ultimately it is everything, we understand that philosophically because we can see in connection, but actually it seems that it's, yeah, it's more, it's more realistic that there are going to be different paths, you know, that seems very realistic, and when we hear, you know, um, Srila Prabhupada say that, um, you know, that the idea was not to convert people, but to add Krishna to life, and then we have the famous 
statements of Dr. Mata for that say, you know, why do you criticize that worship? <laughs> Dear God, he's, he's your God. You know, so I just find that quite fascinating because, um, you know, if we're looking at what's the point of your human form of life, mm-hmm. and the point of your human form of life is to become God conscious, but it's just kind of occurring to me that actually that that is perfection of human form of life, but you may not actually every religion may not choose Krishna. And so therefore, if they are choosing a path of God, and because God is absolute, he's going to be reciprocating with them, so therefore they are going to feel as empowered as we may, or I may, mm-hmm. in their path, and they are going to feel just like you say, and then that's kind of what you said with us, isn't it, that they say that, you know, go to Vaikuntra, and they say, you know, Krishna is an avatar of Vishnu. Mm-hmm. But that, it's actually, it's, that's reality, isn't it? It's kind of like the absolute truth. There's many different facets. Mm-hmm. Just, you know, just, could you comment on that? Do you understand what I'm saying? I will press the Achintya button. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's right. It's a good moment to do that. <laughs> we were talking about that. For those who are not in, have not been in other class, we were joking. For those who were not here, I was joking the other day that sometimes when... Sometimes the devotees are asked a question and they don't know what to say, and they will resort to say, it's a chintya, no? Inconceivable, like a way of avoiding the question. They will press the chintya button. But now I told Sumuki, now it's a good moment to press. It's a legal reason to, it goes beyond. Actually, a chintya, since I mentioned chintya, the word chintya is interesting because it means inconceivable, but Srila Jiva Goswami explains in, in his uh, Sarva Sambadini, his commentary on Paramatma Sandarbha, that achinte gunatvam, achinte gunatvam, that something is achintya unless and until we resort to Shastra. In other words, those things remain inconceivable when we don't go, we don't go to the revelation in Shastra. But when you go to Shastra, many things that were inconceivable are no longer inconceivable. We can understand them. So in connection to what you mentioned, of course the Absolute is unlimited and uh, he has unlimited faces, <laughs> so to say unlimited facets, and different devotees will find each of whatever their faith is, whatever their, in, in, in a particular istadev, in a particular form of the Absolute, the best. Subjectively speaking, like I say, objectively, objectively speaking, we could make a case for Krishna is the the sweetest aspect of God. Let's put it like that. Objectively speaking, by comparison with other forms of the divine, Krishna is topmost Madhurya, so to say. Okay, but someone will say, okay, but I don't like sweet that much. <laughs> No? Like I say, objectively, mango is the sweetest fruit. Okay, but someone may say, but my favorite fruit is apple. Mm. <laughs> Still, mango is the sweetest, objectively, but subjectively, I'm drawn to apple. No? So in the same way, Krishna may be the sweetest, but some people won't take that much of sweet, <laughs> so to say. Krishna is Maduram, 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 as it is famous, famously sung. The Madhurashtakam. Everything about Krishna is sweet, 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 sweet. So for some people, it's 
they feel more at home with Narayan or Ramachandra or whomever. So many forms. Unlimited. The Bhattans say Asankhya. Uncountable. And yeah, all of them are correct, so to say. <laughs> Krishna Das Kavirash Goswami makes this very nice statement. Chaitanya Charitamrita says, every devotee will feel that their relationship with God is the best. And then he says, and everyone is correct. <laughs> it's not that, no, only we are correct. The devotees of Narayan are, are wrong. The relationship with Narayan is not the best. We are wrong in that case. So subjectively speaking, everyone will find full satisfaction in a particular connection with the divine. And we are not to disturb that. We are to honor that. And we are even to, to be inspired by that. That's ideal for me, the perfection of the interfaith dialogue. If I meet a Christian, like I do often, I'm not here to disturb your faith in Christ and try to convert you to Gaudiya Vaishnavism. I'm here to have a conversation and hopefully learn something and hopefully nourish my faith in my own tradition by witnessing your faith in your tradition. That's what, what, that's what happens in the, in the very first book of the Gaudiya Sampradaya. If we choose to conceive the Gaudiya Sampradaya as beginning with Mahaprabhu, which is a way of thinking about it, the first book is Brihad Bhagavatamrita by Sanatana Goswami. And that book is beautiful for many reasons. But one of the main points that the book is making is this, this aspect of respecting and honoring other conceptions of God. Gopakumar is traveling. Of course, he's following his own mood, so to say, and eventually he's reaching there. But on the way, he's passing through so many, he's witnessing so many types of faith and worship and forms of Bhagavan. And he's not disturbing the faith of everyone trying to take them. Hey, come all with, with me to Vrindavan and Sakya Bhav because that's my mood. He's like witnessing, learning, being attracted even for a moment, maybe even thinking, oh, maybe this is my place. But eventually, no. And learning, in, no, like when, for example, when he meets with Hanuman, I always like to quote that part in, 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 in Ayodhya. <clears throat> So what happens? They meet each other, they embrace each other, they acknowledge we are devotees of Bhagavan. Bhagavan is one. There are many faces, but it's the same person. The Bhagavan say what? Vadanti tattvavidas tattvam yajnanam advayam rameti paramadmiti bhagavaniti shabdhiti Reality, or tattva, the ultimate reality tattva is advayajnan. Non-dual consciousness. It's non-dual. Non-dual means there are not three ultimate realities. It's one. But express itself in Brahman, Paramatma, and Bhagavan. And Bhagavan, there are many phases of Bhagavan, but all of them are the same absolutes. No? We have to remember that because sometimes we forget, especially in our tradition, we have so many, we have the Dasavatar, we have the three, I don't know, three Murti, and we have Panchatattva, and we have like all these ten gods, five gods, three gods, but all of them are the same person. Sometimes we forget that. If I, we are celebrating, I don't know, Gaur Purnima, I'll tell you what, Baraha, you know Barahadev? Okay, Barahadev is Mahaprabhu. They're not two different people. But w do we think like that? Or we think of them like different? No? Kurma is here, Vishnu is here, Mahaprabhu is over there, but all of them are the same person. 
in different emotional dispositions. But sometimes we don't think like that. And we end up being polytheistic <laughs> instead of monotheistic. Our tradition is, sorry for so many technical terms, but it's called polymorphic monotheism. Monotheism is one God, polymorphic, many forms. The same God adopting many forms. So, going back to Brihad Bhagavatamrita, Gopakumar meets Hanuman, and Gopakumar asks Hanuman, he's not trying again to preach to Hanuman. My Krishna, come to Golok with me, this is the, the real thing. He's saying, can you please sing the glories of your Lord? Hmm? Of your good Lord? <laughs> There's a song that says like that. <laughs> no? So, please sing the glories of your good Lord. So Hanuman starts to praise Sri Ramachandra in, in trance. And Gopakumar is relishing that. But when Hanuman finishes to glorify Ram, Gopakumar says, Jai Sri Krishna. <laughs> so he gets nourished in his faith for Krishna by witnessing Hanuman's faith for Ram. Because he understands he's the same person. And then Hanuman asks Gopakumar, please, now sing the glories of your Prabhu, of your good Lord. <laughs> so Gopakumar starts to sing the glories of Krishna in Vrindavan, Madan Gopal. And Hanuman is... And at the end, Hanuman ends concluding and says what? Jai Sri Ram. <laughs> <laughs> so that's the perfection of inter-religious dialogue, so to say. I'm, I'm saying both of us understand we are talking about the same person. We are worshiping the same person from different places with different moods. And when I witness your faith, that nourishes my faith. No? It's not disturbing my faith. Your faith nourishes my faith in a unique way. So that's, that's important. Instead of thinking there has to be only one correct way of doing things, and I happen to be in the correct group, so everyone else is wrong, of course. <laughs> No, no, it's, it's, it's more challenging than that, so to say, no? like, like when you were quoting, and I quote that in my book, Bhaktivinoda Thakur saying, mm. I'd like to share that quote, that's very powerful. The point is how quick I will find it. That's another thing, what TV? Oh, let's see. Have faith and have patience. Bhaktivinoda Thakur, here it is. That was fast. <laughs> if one goes to someone else's place of worship one should think these people are worshipping my Lord but in a different way because of my different training I cannot quite comprehend this system of worship however through this experience I can deepen my appreciation for my own system of worship the Lord is only one not two I offer respect to the form I see here and pray to the Lord in this new form that he increases my love for the Lord in his accustomed form. Those who do not follow this procedure but instead criticize other systems of worship and show hatred, violence, and envy are worthless and foolish. The more they indulge in useless quarreling, the more they betray the very goal of their religion. <laughs> he said it all there. 
and we belong to the Bhaktivinoda Paribar, to the family coming from Bhaktivinoda Thakur, so we are expected to honor that DNA, so to say, <laughs> in how we relate, not only with other traditions, but with both the Abhishnavas, even from different designations, different faiths, different Paribars, different moods, different missions, because as we said the other day, it's sometimes even ironic, ironic that, okay, I, I have a nice relationship with Christians and Jewish, but when I meet the Gaudiya Vaishnava from another group, mm -hmm. mm, that, that's not, that's, I don't like that. <laughs> no? So we are very nice in inter-religious dialogue, but when we meet with members of our own family from different branches of the same tree, we cross the street and, and look in another direction. Did he pass already? Yes, okay. okay no, like <laughs> so we have to first begin at home, so to say. No? And, and, and we are all part, we are all birds, in different branches of the same tree. The same trunk is Mahaprabhu. Mm -hmm. So we may be in different branches of the same tree. But you generally don't see, as I mentioned in my book, you never see two branches of the tree fighting with one another. Mm. You will never, you look at the tree, you won't see the branches fighting with one another. But sometimes we do that, <laughs> being in different branches of the Mahaprabhu tree. So we have to... To be more humble than a tree, no? not to be fighting in a tree, so to say. <laughs> more tolerant and more humble. Okay, hope that helps. <coughs> Something else? A question I have from uh, my friend. A question from your friend? Yeah. How, how, how is that happening? I don't understand. Media <laughs> <laughs> yes, thank you. Being brought back to reality. I sent him a recording of your first talk. Social media, it's okay. He said that. <laughs> Email. Okay. And, um, my screen. Yes. And he texted me through his question. Okay. It's a sim in, sim in the similar vein of the question I asked. Um, Let's see. He's He's a writer and, a, okay. and an actor. And an? Actor. Actor, okay. Um, so he says, uh, I'm an artist and when it comes to thinking of, my, thinking of my career, I'm often torn between two conflicting ways of thinking. Sometimes I'm passionate about building a respectable career for myself with hard work and commitment. I obsess over the work. Then sometimes I feel overwhelmed with the idea that the whole human experience is illusory and nothing could seem more absurd than building a career. What are your thoughts on this dilemma? <laughs> <laughs> He's a good writer, yeah. Good articulate, articulator. So. Uh, Of course, as I, as, I, as I told you, and I'm sorry if I repeat myself so much, but I can share some general thoughts, although the question is very personal, but I don't know the person. No? I, I just got a glimpse of the person by that question, but I don't know the person enough as to say, this is what you need, no? and give like a very conclusive advice to someone I just know by a few lines. So I just will say something general, and hoping that it applies to your friend on some level. <laughs> so, <clears throat> on one side, he has this side of, okay, I, I want to build a respectable career, 
uh, and on another side he's concluding that the whole human experience is illusory so what's what's the purpose of this whole career stuff it's insignificant at the end of the day or something again i don't know him so i don't know which is his orientation uh, philosophically speaking in terms of the whole human experience is illusory uh, and so on and so forth no? because there, again there are different currents of thoughts no if you are connected with advaita vedanta you will say everything is an illusion no i'm not saying he's in that position but i don't know again some people will think everything is an illusion so of course you have to know how to navigate your life with that orientation to life because whatever you are doing apart from brahman in their tradition is false but that's not our philosophy that's my point so i wouldn't say your whole human experience is illusory i don't agree with that so by clarifying that i think that helps to harmonize the first part no your human experience is not necessary a complete illusion <laughs> no, it doesn't need to be taken to that level of course you can we can as humans uh, how to say degrade ourselves extremely and make everything a complete illusion <laughs> but it's not a necessarily the human experience is a complete illusion in every way you approach it because we are devotees and we are having a human experience i mean the whole class yesterday morning i think was about staying human and integrating humanity to our spirituality we are not so much humanity's illusion let's cut from it and just transcendence i mean our goal is the nara lila in brindavan there is full humanity there and full transcendence so humanity is not disposable for us so in that sense if we kind of reclaim our humanity in, in, a, in its proper place in its proper context we can see then okay i want to build a career there is place for that that's not necessarily a total illusion ex as an extension of the totally illusory human experience it can be a way of engaging my acquired nature and express express myself vocationally in this world in a way that is sattvic brings balance brings satisfaction and on that foundation of balance and satisfaction i can go deeper and deeper into my spiritual pursuits so suddenly all that things that can be seen as totally illusory can be facilitators to go deeper and deeper into my into the real ultimate reality of spirituality so so that's what i can say again with the little i i know your friend but i i will share those thoughts like try try to contemplate the human experience not as necessarily illusory and once you can see the human experience as something real <laughs> not necessarily bad we don't need to develop a negative orientation to to being in this body to being in this world that's not our school our tradition is not mukti although sometimes we become quite mukti oriented <laughs> quite about like rejecting transcending renouncing leaving samsara but that's not our tradition technically speaking mukti 
for us, technically speaking, mukti, according to Krishna Daska Raj Goswami, is kaitava dharma. It's cheating in the name of religion. <laughs> so we have to be careful not to become ourselves too much into this mukti, renouncing thing, because our tradition is not about renunciation. So, so the human experience doesn't need to be renounced, just needs to be properly expressed, properly aligned, spiritualized, and you will find a fully spiritualized humanity in the spiritual world. That's our view. So being established in the world in, in certain career, I mean, it makes sense. No, I mean, everyone needs to be engaged in, in, a, in a, how to say, in a significant way in this world. If you don't engage according to your nature, you will be dysfunctional, probably. If I try to be a grihasta, oh, poor my wife. <laughs> because that's not my nature. That's not my nature. I will be a completely terrible, dysfunctional grihasta. Uh, and I don't want to do that for, for, for whomever will maybe my wife. <laughs> so I, I have to be a sannyas because that's my nature. That's healthy for me. That's, that's, that's okay. I'm not better than, than, than you. It's just my nature. I have to be a monk. Sorry, I have no option. It's what, it's what came in this lifetime. Mm -hmm. no. It's even in my chart. I remember I went once to Brindana. I, I did a chart for one health issue. And I told the astrologer, just told me about the health issue. No. <laughs> the astrologer was, I want to tell you this. <laughs> just the health issue. But something, something else, something else. Okay, it's something else. Oh, Maharaj, you have the perfect chart for sannyasi because Venus, which is a planet for romance, is in the worst possible position. <laughs> so romance is not for you. And I was like, yes, totally. I totally agree. Never, it never happened. So, but it's not that I'm better. It's just like, it's my, my acquired nature, whomever I, I... So my point is, I have to align with my acquired nature because if not, I become dysfunctional. So everyone has to do the same. And in some cases, aligning with your nature means maybe having a family. Having a family means getting a job, and getting a job means building a, a significant career. It's not necessarily about, I want to be famous, and I, have, I want a name, and I want everyone worshipping me. In that case, something needs to be worked on that. <laughs> but it's on something that creating some balance according to one's vocation. That's common sense. That's, there's nothing wrong with that. Nothing illusory with that. <laughs> that will be my reply to your friend. Hopefully that helps. You know him better than me. So. <laughs> yeah. <coughs> Something else? Should we come for Maharaj, you started off discussing the relationship between the speaker and the hearer. Mm. You were talking about the percentage responsibility in any kind of sangha and so forth. Um, I'm just curious to explore a little about the whole culture of hierarchy and speaker and or guru and disciple um, and how as a student or as a hearer one is empowered to learn when the hierarchy tends to impose a sense of fear or um, expectation that's um, beyond one's capacity. Mm -hmm. um, 
it's a sort of topic that comes up for me a bit because it seems like it's very commonly applied that kind of hierarchical patriarchal Mm. kind of Mm. approach to to instructing and teaching and obviously there is a place for implicit following and subordination that's there within Shasta of course Mm -hmm. so it's just how to how to create the right culture how to encourage the right culture Mm. so it doesn't you know evolve into something that's counterproductive for the purpose that you're actually aspiring to towards within that Mm. relationship you were talking about speaker and hearer hierarchy and guru and disciple but we have to remember we mentioned these days I, I, I wrote a lot about that in the chapter on, on the book about guru and disciple there is radical personalism there is this chapter issues and tissues between guru and disciple which is fun because by tissues I, I meant layers but everyone understood that it was like these tissues that you use for <laughs> And I was like, well, it also applies if you read the chapter, but I was like, I never thought it. it was more like issues and tissues, like different layers of situations. But everyone understood tissues by like, <laughs> but it's applicable also if you read the chapter, yeah. So what I mentioned there that we shared the other day is like <clears throat> that guru also is a student, no? guru is a disciple. An ideal guru will feel himself, herself, just in case, a disciple, and, and will be willing to learn and to listen, even from his students, if the situation arises. And maybe unless I give you an example of that, what I'm saying is, sounds strange, but I gave you the example the other day, and the example is right in our face, maybe we don't see it. Just go to the Bhagavatam and you find Srila Vyasadev. He's the archetype of the guru figure. I think we talked about that yesterday even. So sorry to repeat myself. And Vyasadev, he's the guru figure. I mean, Guru Purnim is Vyasa Purnim. He's totally related with the idea of guru. What do you find in the Bhagavatam? Vyasadev is instructing Bhagavatam to Sukadev Goswami. And then he's going and, and listening and taking the class from Sukadev Goswami. The guru, Vyasadev, instructs the student. The student then is giving harikata and the guru is listening. <laughs> I mean, I'm not saying it has to happen always in that way, but I'm saying it's no problem if that happens. No. I mean, immediately you have that reference in the Bhagavatam, like from the main guru figure in, in the Vedic tradition, Vyasadev. Like that carries some weight. <laughs> like implying how whenever the flow of Harikata manifests, it doesn't matter who is giving the class and who is listening. And for me, that's an important point. In that sense, the hierarchy is broken. I mean, still there is someone speaking and listening, but it's broken in the sense that if a, if a genuine flow of Harikata comes from the mouth of whomever, Please, we give the Vyasa-san to you. The Vyasa-san is given to, to the flow of Harikata, not to the individual 
separate from that flow. So, okay, please talk. And everyone, will, we will be listening. And then suddenly someone else will be inspired. Okay, now we listen to you. In that sense, the, there's no hierarchy. In that sense, the hierarchy is from whenever Harikata is coming, that's the hierarchy. And everyone else is a, is a student. And we were talking today in the morning. Krishna himself considers himself a student in the school of Sri Radha. No? He's a student of Radha's loves Prema Vidyalai. University of, of Prem. <laughs> so, <clears throat> so I think we may need to emphasize a little bit more this so we can, in my opinion, of course, so we can be protected from certain, as you mentioned, patriarchal, hierarchical uh, excesses, so to say. No? Because in one sense, our tradition is very feminine, actually. It's, it's very Shakti-oriented. <laughs> But it's interesting that there's, there's lots of patriarchal uh, content there. There's lots of chauvinistic stuff going on. Mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, and and one, the other day I was reading the book from, I think it was Richard Rohr who mentioned that. He said, it's, it's funny to see how in many traditions where there's lots of patriarchal and chauvinistic emphasis, there's so much emphasis in worship the goddess or the feminine. Uh, he was not thinking about our tradition, but speaking in general, he will say, probably it's an unconscious way in which we try to make up for our lack of feminine side, yeah. no? and, and our overtly patriarchal, chauvinistic orientation, and we worship the goddesses, trying like to unconsciously complement with that. But, but yeah, I think we need to to emphasize in our particular tradition way more this feminine element, no? not only feminine element in terms of let's worship Sri Radha, but also in ourselves and the feminine side of our personality and so on and so forth. And Because if not, yeah, it becomes too suffocating and too, I mean, so for me, it's, as I mentioned in my book, it's not so much like a pyramidal hierarchy with someone at the top and everyone else down, but it's a, a, a circular collaboration well, sometimes, according to the necessity of service, one will be given the harikata, one will be on the on the top of the hierarchy, so to say, and sometimes someone else will be there, like Vyasadev giving harikata to Sukadev, Sukadev giving harikata to Vyasadev. But all of them are serving the same idea. We are all servants of the same cause. So in that sense, guru-disciple relationship is a teamwork. Of course, as disciples, we will feel my Gurudev is worshipable. And, and it's not that I will say, ah, I can give class to you, Gurudev. We are on the same. No, I'm not saying that. But, but at the same time, we are serving the same ideal together in one sense. Gurudev is serving divine love. I want to serve divine love. Gurudev is, is also a disciple of someone else. So he, his main sense of identity is, I'm a disciple. Generally, a guru is not feeling so much, I'm a guru. I'm not a disciple. I'm a guru. No, a guru is a servant of everyone. <laughs> the guru, someone who really can be a guru, who has the adhikar for that, is the one who has the capacity to serve everyone. <laughs> Generally, the guru is serving the disciple more than the disciple, the guru, in many cases. <laughs> Although, again, it should be a reciprocal flow. So... 
Yeah, yeah. I think we need to emphasize this idea. No, like yeah. guru, guru is not a guru is not a position. Guru is a is a service. <laughs> it's not a hierarchical post, so to say. No, it's not the professional role that I acquire now. It's a service. It's a, it's an even more committed service. When I have to become even more dis, more of a disciple. So I can survive that service. <laughs> because it's not, it's not a joke to be a guru. It's not like, okay, now I'm guru, great. No? I have so, so much more donations and kijais per day and followers and numbers. I mean, be ready for tapasya, for entering into the fire. And for if you really want to do it properly, that's not, that's not easy. That's not a joke. It's ser so serious. You have to be so dedicated. You have to be so introspective about what's going on inside of you, why you are doing that for the proper motivation. Do you have the adhikar to do that to begin with? <laughs> Sometimes we find that you're, after being, <clears throat> being in a culture where you've just basically allowed that to continue on and on and you feel like somewhat of the flow, mm -hmm. the flow is kind of being curtailed because you just, yeah, you just feel like you're just being just being patronized all the time or whatever, mm -hmm. subjugated. And then you might have experience with peers even. I mean, Ramachandra and I have a nice relationship where we can actually be very almost familiar, but it's not it's not deliberately familiar. It's just there's this this level playing field that we discuss things and then the flow starts and it's like suddenly you start going really deep and then so, okay, that's an example of when you level the playing field, that sometimes <coughs> the tendency to deal with the other side is you, you want to be a, a little irreverent and, and, and like you say, it's not the place of a disciple to start saying, I'll start giving you class every day. <laughs> but um, just psychologically, the tendency is, is the, the, the kickback from actually being in a culture where you've just always just been in this subordinated place you can't even express yourself you can't even ask mm, a relevant mm, question mm. because that type of overbearing energy just doesn't allow and it just builds up and builds up and you can't get a word in anyways so it's like um but then you can you know get get a little skeptical at the end of your life and you just start being a little bit sort of flippant and irreverent which is not the way either but i just find that um yeah, anyway, any, any comments on that? <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I'm, I'm very sad to hear that that has been the case, no, to begin with, because that's not what, what's supposed to happen. And because you mentioned that you are not, for example, there's no there's no like promotion to make relevant questions as a disciple but that's the duty of a disciple mm. Mm. you go to all the verses that describe the duty of a disciple inquire humbly the duty of the disciple is to inquire about the ultimate goal Again, if you want to attain the highest goal, you have to approach a guru and inquire. So, 
I mean, if, if you cancel that, basically, you are not being allowed to be a disciple. <laughs> no? And if that comes from a guru, I mean, that's, again, I'm not talking about any particular personal case. I'm just saying the role of the disciple is to ask pertinent questions. And the role of the guru is not to cancel that. <laughs> the opposite. The role of the guru is to allow you to be a disciple. And that means the role of the guru is to like steer, steer in you these questions, like, like encourage you to make questions. Please, you are open. That's what Krishna tells Arjuna in the Bhagavad Gita. At the end of the Bhagavad Gita, he asking Arjuna, do you have any more doubts? Is everything clear? And the implication of that, the commentator says, is Krishna is willing to speak the whole Bhagavad Gita again if Arjuna requires that. It's not that Krishna said, okay, I talked the whole Bhagavad Gita, so better you understand it, because, I mean, this has been already 15 minutes of talking, 45 minutes, whatever. Good luck. Huh? And no more questions, of course. No? I, I, gave, I, I did everything I could, so it's up to you now. No, no, Krishna is like, you understood everything, everything's clear. And the, and the implication of that is, I'm willing to tell it all again if you need it. That's the, the commitment of the guru, that's the response, that's the dedication. Instead of canceling <laughs> the function, the flow of inquiry, so to say. And, and by that canceling, creating a culture of intimidation or fear or where the op again the opposite of that is supposed to happen. Rupa Goswami says the ideal relationship between guru and disciple. You know, this is the third point of his sixty-four angas of bhakti, Bishram Bhina Guru Seva. Means you are supposed to serve your guru with Bishramba. Bishramba means trust, friendship, confidence, intimacy. All this is implied by the word Bishramba. So as I say the other day. This is not only an instruction for the disciple. You should serve your guru in that way. This is an instruction for the guru. You should allow that to happen. <laughs> because maybe the disciple will approach the guru with fear in his lack of experience. You are afraid, you are nervous, whatever. And the guru has the duty of gradually creating a culture of intimacy and love and affection and trust. Not increasing the fear and the distance. That's that's not the role of the guru. <laughs> the guru in that case is doing the opposite of what's expected. And again, that's in Shastra. I'm not coming with my own idea of how it works. That's what the Shastra is saying. And I think, again, that's what our common sense hopefully validates. Our gut intuition confirms. Yeah, it should be like that. It should be love, affection, trust, intimacy. <laughs> Like, like Krishna with Arjuna, again, that's the, the, the archetypal guru-disciple relationship for us, in, as, as many others. And Krishna is so affectionate to Arjuna. And Arjuna is so affectionate to Krishna. <coughs> of course, they are friends, but also guru-disciple relationship there. The same with Sukadeva and Pariksha. There is so much affection. And, and Sukadeva Goswami is, again, encouraging more questions. And when Pariksit makes questions, Sukadev Goswami is celebrating the questions of his disciple. And wow, there's a new wave of inspiration comes by your questions. So now, and the guru feels indebted to the disciple for the question. Like, you are doing me a favor. By engaging me in further Harikata, 
by inspiring this new wave of Karikata that comes because of your question. So thank you so much. <laughs> that's that's it, the actual humble spirit of, of, of the guru. And with this again, I, I'm not trying to criticize anyone. I'm just saying whomever does not do that as a guru is just not performing their role. <laughs> I mean, we have to have those things clear because if that's not clear in the name of being a guru, we end up doing everything and anything. And, and, and so many, the faith of so many can be shattered in the in a way of that so so yeah we, we should encourage honest inquiry all questions should be welcome and the and the guru should be should be delivering the message in such a way that will create new questions in the disciple no? as, as we were talking the other day the guru is not trying to bring closure but to bring disclosure and when the disciple is thinking okay now i understood everything the guru will say something else so the disciple doesn't think that he understood everything. <laughs> so he keeps the disciple on the edge of the seat. Like, oh, okay, wow, oh, I never thought in that way. Oh, that layer of depth on that neuro. Wow. So the disciple always feels a disciple, a student forever. <laughs> That's what Sula Siamara said. We are students forever. Because we are studying something that is eternal and infinite. So we, we will never become masters always studying this so the guru has to be expert in, in creating that culture of constant inquiry the guru himself has to be in that spirit you know? always going deep and going deep and discovering new things <laughs> and, and allowing that to, to, to flow from, from the disciple and feeling blessed by that again and so many times by, by by question, I mean, I'm not someone who gives initiation and all that, but in my role as sharing some thoughts like I'm doing, sometimes a question comes and um, I end up saying things that I'm surprised. And I like saying something, wow, that thing that Josh just said was really cool. <laughs> but I quickly realized, but it was not me. It was not in my, like, repertoire in my script i will say now this cool stuff it's just coming so it's not me i'm humbled by what is passing through me but all that was triggered by the question that that person did so in one sense it's more credit to that person so, to say. <laughs> so i'm indebted to that person it's not that i'm the main star here saying all this cool stuff it's just and I'm, I'm an instrument that is being triggered by the sincerity and the questions of of others no? <laughs> and the credit goes mostly to them <laughs> so for me that's a way, way more yeah humble and realistic orientation to how to how to not only take care of the faith of the disciple but how to remain as a guru in a sustainable way <laughs> in a healthy way because if you treat your disciples without I don't know, allowing questions without allowing thinking, without allowing dialogue and opinion and cutting your own situation as a guru and your own role will start to become compromised and affected. And no wonder in time it may become unsustainable in some cases. So, so yeah. It's also a, a symptom of, of a whole systematic, a systemic support culture that 
just the background of many of these um, more uh, senior, more jurors and, 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 and institutions, or well, not necessarily in an institution, but just other jurors that's supported by a culture of people that don't have their back either. So, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. so therefore, they've, they've basically got defence mechanisms to yeah. to yeah. keep things yeah. you know, necessary. Yeah. And of course, we, we also have our responsibility in the sense that we may choose to comply to some abusive patterns. And also, we have our share of responsibility in some cases. No, I don't want to sound like Okay, all the fault and responsibilities on that person. Mm -hmm. If I choose to accept that, I'm choosing to accept that. I have to take my responsibility. No? And sometimes certain situations of abuse continue because people comply also. No? Mm -hmm. Like the other day, I, was, I shared the other day, I was watching someone making a presentation. He was talking about Nazi Germany, the Holocaust. Mm -hmm. He will say, he was speaking about that and he will ask the audience, so, do you agree with that? With the Holocaust and all that? And I was like, no, 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 no. That's horrible and so on. And then he says, okay, so I have some news for you. <laughs> he said, if you would have been in, the Holo in, in Nazi Germany at that time, probably you, you would have ended being a Nazi. And he started to explain why. Because if you are just in the middle of a whole group of people that is going in one direction, <laughs> Generally, you tend to go where everyone else is going. Mm -hmm. So, although now you tell me that's horrible, I will never do it. If you have been in that particular situation, probably you have also complied to that. <laughs> no. so, so, like, like, and, and the point he was making is, so regimes like the Nazi regime also are possible because people comply to them. <laughs> With this, I'm not, I'm not saying poor, poor Adolf Hitler or anything. I'm just saying. It's more complex that, than when we that how we think things, no? And we have to take our responsibility also, no? Which doesn't yeah. Still the other things are wrong, what I'm mentioning, but also we as disciples have our own um, freedom and choice and opinion and we can say that's not correct. And I understand we are sometimes young and we are in an environment and again we are carried by <laughs> certain ways of doing things and but we are where we are now, having gone through that, learned through that, and hopefully we can continue making more informed choices. And, and this, that's how we learn also many times. As we said the other day, many times we grow more by doing it wrong than by doing it right. <laughs> but the important thing is that we learn from that, not so much that never do any mistake or never go through any complex situation. That will happen, even if you don't want <laughs> but just trying to learn and grow. Yeah. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you very much. Actually, that um, podcast with Tanya was very nice and illuminating that feminine okay. aspect. That was incredible. Okay. I read a lot out of that. You like that podcast in particular yeah. because you mentioned that a few times yeah, already. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It was very profound, actually. Yeah, that was a nice one. Yeah. 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 Okay, so we are one hour, 35 minutes. <laughs> <laughs> Something else before we conclude? Yes. What's your name? Remind me again, please. Sean. 
Chandler, Chandler. yeah. Um, there's been a lot of, I guess in this culture, there's always opportunity for corruption. Yes. Just because you can gain positions of power, and if that's what you want on, you know, if you want to be purely kind of corrupt, or you, you might not necessarily be corrupt, but then you, you can't, or you are corrupt, and that's why you can't. Um, my question is, how do we kind of deal with that, I suppose, because within um, even within our culture where people are corrupting or doing scientists in the past, and mm-hmm. it, can, it can cause quite a lot of conflict between people because it becomes, if you're sort of, say, as corrupt, it can be a very personal attack to yourself if somebody's accusing you of such and such. Mm. So then how do we just kind of deal with mm. things like that to quite a, a tough approach? <laughs> yeah. Good question. Thank you. Yeah. And complex. Well, as you can imagine, I, I'm not about to share you in 10 seconds of magical formula. And that's it. No more problem with that issue. No? Yeah. But yeah, we, we need at least to I would say one beginning thing is what you are just doing, which is to make a question about it. Mm. No? Like to be courageous enough to say, this is a question for me. No? Because sometimes the problem is you cannot ask about it. No, no like censorship, cancel culture. Mm. So just having the conversation, I, I'm not saying that's everything, but that's maybe half of the solution no like to to be willing to have conversations about touchy subjects and things that may be like uncomfortable and settling but that we need to talk about it even if we don't have a full fully like figured out solution at least let's sit and bring the topic to the table and and try to understand why and how and what to do but if you are not even talking about it I mean, of course, you cannot expect anything because still it's not in the, <laughs> in the, no. So I will first say that. Of course, regarding corruption, I, I wouldn't say that if someone ends up being corrupt, it means that that person was corrupt all the way along. Someone, we can see many times someone comes with very good intentions, <laughs> but get corrupted on the way, no. Because we are we are weak, and as there's this famous saying, power corrupts, and lots of power corrupts a lot. No? <laughs> so, I mean, power is. I, I, when I say in this, I'm not saying that power is bad in itself. It's more a way of saying in general, power corrupts, but in itself, power is not bad. I mean, you can have power, and use that in a proper way, like we were talking the other day. Mahaprabhu, I no longer know when we were talking that, but it was here, I remember. <laughs> when Mahaprabhu, that was on Jiva Goswami's yeah, Tirobhav, yeah. yeah. So Mahaprabhu organized his Sampradaya around the six Goswamis. The six Goswamis were, were kind of the architects of the Gaudiya Sampradaya. And that's not, that's not coincidence that Mahaprabhu chose those six particular persons, because all of them, somehow or other, had a very powerful position in one way or another. No, Rupa Goswami Sanada coming from a very prestigious Brahmin background. Raghunadas Goswami coming from a multimillionaire family. Gopal Bhatta Goswami being the 
the, the only son of the main priest of the main temple in Saudi India. That's power. No? All that is power. Power, 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 power. But that was used in a proper way. You follow my point? So Mahaprabhu thought about that. Okay, what to, let's use power here. <laughs> but to build a Sampradaya. So just to make it clear, power is not ontologically bad. <laughs> but you have to have, of course, the capacity to deal with power. No? The Goswamis were the Goswamis. So I will say that the important thing is do not put power in the hands of people who do not have the adhikar to deal with power. Because even if you have good intention, they may have good intention, but they become like overwhelmed by that. No. I mean, many of, of, of the disciples of Srila Prabhupada who, who accepted being gurus in the beginning, I mean, I, I trust they all were sincere and had the best intentions, but suddenly they were like, in such a position of power and for many of them it was too much and i totally empathize i mean mm -hmm. i'm not just blaming it's like mm -hmm. if i will have been there probably i did it worse mm -hmm. i don't know imagine 20 years uh, 20 something you are guru of thousands and you have like these properties and name and everyone is worshiping in the same way that Prabhupada was worth wow you have to have such a realization to survive such a thing no? <laughs> So, so that for me is an important lesson that, okay, you know, if you give too much power to someone, in one sense you are killing that person. <laughs> no, you're doing violence to the person because the person is not able to manage, to, 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 to digest such a degree of power. So, so power has to be like, like administrated in, in sustainable doses, no? like installments. So, so, so that, that, that's why we need, of course, we need elders in every tradition, every culture. Elders are very important figures and elders are people with wisdom, with maturity, with humility, with service spirit, who, how to say, who can influence others, but they are not willing to influence anyone. No, they can, but it's not, I, I mean, they have the power to influence so many, but it's not that they want to be influencing people. That's what makes them elders, actually. <laughs> so those people are the ones who have the vision. Ideally, that's representative of the guru figure <laughs> or, or, or elders in the community. And, and, and they are the ones who have also to guide the rest of the community in terms of, okay, how we are, how are distributing power here in the way that is uh, sustainable for them and it's used for service again it, because we need power it's not that we are against we, we need power we need empowerment <laughs> we don't need to disempower people we need to empower them but to empower them in a way that the, the power is not again overwhelming them so we have to before giving power before giving position before giving responsibility we have to also pay, take some time in how much you can handle this uh, which is your adhikar, which is your eligibility, which is your maturity, which is your criteria, which are your motivations. And even if everything is in place, okay, you have this power, then there has to be, again, a, a very close like following of that person. Let's see how you deal with the power we have given to you. No, It's not like, okay, you were okay before the power, now you have the power and everything will be fine. Probably mm -hmm. not. It's not fine. Probably at one point it's 
is too much and you need to to do something with that so yeah that's what comes to my mind again i know there is no universal solution but a few thoughts <coughs> again to begin to have the conversation about it and, and to talk more and more and more and more, and more. And to make that point clear, whatever power is being given, it's always in service. It's always in service. If you are a guru, you are receiving so much power, but that's to offer in service. So you have to have the capacity of offering that in service. <laughs> offering power in service. That, that's, and, and not offering it to yourself. Not taking power and doing a self-puja, so to say. You know? But continuing doing that no so for that it has to be according to your adhikar and one has to be sincere how much you are able to handle how much this power is distracting you no? the leader has to have introspection also no? how i'm dealing with this power that has been conferred upon me with this responsibility with this following with this whatever fame all the things can happen is that affecting my identity as a servant <laughs> Or is it nourishing that? It should be nourishing that. If you receive fame, you should receive the fame in such a way that it makes you more of a servant. <laughs> Although it sounds strange, but that's, that's the only way you can survive fame. If not, you are... <laughs> pratista. I mean, Pratista is so subtle. No? That, that's the subtle of the subtle things. It's not so easy to, not, to be free from that. Even if we think, no... I don't care for that. Don't be so sure. <laughs> There's so many layers of that. So, so yeah, responsibility has to be handled in very careful way. Even again, with compassion for the person you are given the power. You know? For for the, to protect you, let's say whomever is there to protect you, I won't give you that much power because I may be killing you by giving you that much power. and you may end up killing others <laughs> by a misuse of power you know? so it's, a, it's 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 like a knife like proper say you know or like erasers now you can you, know, you can shave your head or you can destroy your head if you don't know how to use it so to say <laughs> so power you, know? you can use something beautiful or you can do destroy everything so yeah Thank you for your question, for your courage. That's, in, that's one of the main things to gradually bring solutions to the thing, yeah. <coughs> Something else? So we are done? Okay, last question. Do you have a few minutes? I don't want to overextend. What time is it? Oh, 8.35. Okay. okay. We have eternity, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. I have to remember, remind myself that I'm flying tomorrow. So, totally up to you. Yeah, yeah. One last, last, one last question. No, 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 please. Mm -hmm. um, 
um, I'm not sure if they want my foot or not, but this this is so um, oppressive that we're living within this larger society, and you know, we're within a society within a bigger society where the voice is not um, you know, like I say, kind of forced and dependent in that way because we express or to ask questions. Is, are we influenced by the wider society or is it, is it kind of something to do with the Vaishnav kind of etiquette? No, Vaishnav etiquette has nothing to do with council culture. <laughs> well, the, the misunderstanding of Vaishnav etiquette, maybe. But <laughs> as we talked the other day on Vaishnav etiquette, also, no, Vaishnav etiquette has nothing to do with making us paranoid and distant and calculating everything and being full of fear and intimidate. That, that's not Vaishnava etiquette. Vaishnava etiquette has to promote, again, intimacy, love, affection, sincerity, <laughs> all these Vaishnava values, no? Fear, intimidation, those are not Vaishnava values, just in case. <laughs> so, so, yeah, I mean, if, if we find that something, some of those non-Vaishnava attributes are happening in our society well we have to to bring a new voice to the society so to say no that that's how it happens no and, and yeah of course as i said before you are speaking about council culture in the wider society and we are a smaller society within that society and and yeah as i mentioned before many things happen in the world filter and affect the way we think the way we act it's not that it doesn't touch me. It touches us more than what we can think. Especially, again, with social media and things that start to enter more and more intimately, so to say, and influences more and more subtly. So, <clears throat> But whatever is the, the cost that makes our little, small society to be affected by that, if we feel... Okay, there is council culture, this is, there is this, there is this. You are seeing the thing, then you are responsible to do something about it. No? If you are seeing it, you have to take responsibility for what you are seeing. Like I remember once I was in, in Chile, <laughs> and I went, I went to the bathroom, and there was one, it was a little tricky, but there was one sign in the bathroom, and it said, if you see that the, bar, the, the bathroom is a mess, hmm, it means that Krishna is showing you that and wants you to, to clean it. <laughs> and of course, I watched and the bathroom was a mess. <laughs> Probably every day was a mess and they put that sign. So. <laughs> but, but at the same time, I appreciated the point. Like, if you see something, you are seeing it. Now you have to take responsibility for that. If, like, if I know there is some abuse going on in the other room, I already know it. I, I became part of that. Of the solution or of the or, or becoming accomplice to that if i don't know it's another thing i mean i didn't know but if i see it if you will if i know about it and i don't do anything that's a, as i mentioned in my book that's a scene of omission you have the scene of commission where you commit something wrong and you have omission when you know someone else is doing something wrong and you just like or as you say like <laughs> So, so yeah, if, if we see or feel there's some voices 
that are not speaking, we need to speak some things. Well, we have to begin that at home. No? That, that, that's in, that, maybe that's Krishna inviting us to, to make our contribution, so to say. No? That's how it happens. Again, we cannot just wait when someone will say something about this issue that someone needs to speak about. Nobody is saying anything. And the wind will blow back saying, and what about you? No. Because if not, we can become cynical and just throwing stones from outside. Like nothing is, nobody's doing anything and this should be done. And we just become expert at criticizing how nobody's doing anything. Mm. But we are not doing anything either. <laughs> and just criticizing that others, I'm not saying you are doing that. I'm just saying the danger to go there is present. Uh, so, and, and we don't also want to be insiders who just comply and submit in a blind way. But also we don't want to be outsiders, being cynical, bitter, resentful, just throwing stones. So we have to stand somehow in, in between those two things, so to say. No? <laughs> and, and hopefully raise our voice and take commitment and responsibility for what we see and we feel it needs to change. And if our voice is not heard in certain circles, then we have to look for a circle where our voice will be heard. We may have to create our own circle, <laughs> but our voice has to be heard. That's the point. I cannot just stop thinking, stop feeling, stop talking because they are not accepting what I have to say. No. So we, we need to, to have, again, safe spaces. For, and maybe the safe space is something like this. No. It's not that we need 3,000 people and some seals of approval from certain particular structure. I mean... At the end of the day, you are an individual and you have a relationship with Krishna, with the Vaishnav, with your guru. I mean, institutions can be there to facilitate something, but that's the role. I mean, they cannot interfere with, <laughs> with your connection with God and with the sadhus. That's a personal heart-to-heart -heart connection. Institutions are... That's another realm of... of that's another role. That's, that's not the same. No? <laughs> Micromanaging and all that stuff. No, thank you. No. <laughs> Institutions are supposed to facilitate personal loving connection between the soul and God, the soul and other souls. That's the role of a spiritual institution. Whenever the, the institution gets in the way of that, it's not, it's not doing its role. So it needs to change, it needs to collapse, it needs to die and be reborn, whatever it needs. <laughs> but, and again, that happens throughout history in, with all institutions, again. Technically speaking, institutions are destined to collapse at some point. <laughs> but maybe they will be reborn in a new way. I'm, I'm not against institutions. They just Sometimes their form, their structure, the way of doing things become obsolete, irrelevant, and it needs to and be, reappear in a, in a new form, so to say. Still, it's a form. Again, the substance is the important thing here. We're after the substance. The institution is kind of the, of the vessel to carry the substance. So if the vessel is getting in the way of the substance, we need the substance. So we have to figure out how to get a vessel that works, so to say. So hope that helps. <laughs> I'm sorry if I'm pushing too much out of the comfort zone with some of my <laughs> answers. <laughs> it's my opinion. I'm not here to tell anyone what to do. I'm not expecting people to do everything I'm saying or I'm doing. I'm just 
trying to share honestly what I think it may it may work but again I'm fallible human being so I'm totally open to <laughs> to acknowledge that everything may not be accurate of course and perfect so you just please exercise your own criteria and will and agency you know you give yourself permission <laughs> to think to feel to develop your ideas and think together in community and continue growing right give yourself permission for that you know? empower each other in that way instead of <laughs> maybe there was a lot of counseling throughout time now it's time for empowering each other instead of disempowering you know? it's empowering each other to our our own voice our our own opinion uh, being open to be mistaken and being corrected but also we have an individuality and we have to offer that to Krishna in service we have to develop our our individuality for the pleasure of Krishna it's a big challenge, but that's a beautiful offering that Krishna will enjoy a lot. <laughs> Remember, he's a supreme personality of Godhead, so he was he wants to see us also in our supreme personality. He doesn't want a half-baked individual. <laughs> no? He wants half-baked baked individual. Yeah, he wants you to be fully as a person as you can be, with all your thoughts and opinions and feelings. And, that that can only in that way you can only relate to the supreme personality of God. You have to attain your your the supreme personality of your own self to relate to Him. So we have to work on that so we can relate to Him properly. So yeah, well, thank you so much to all of you for for the invitation to visit Kati Kati. It's Kati Kati. It's not Katie Katie, right? It's Kati Kati. Yeah, yeah. Thank you. <laughs> we all say Katie Katie. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. So thank you, thank you. Ramachandra Prabhu is the main one to blame. So if there was any problem, just go to him. He will take full responsibility. <laughs> I'm just leaving to Argentina tomorrow, so the whole explosion comes tomorrow. I'll be praying for you, Ramachandra Prabhu. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So thank you thank you so much for inviting me and for your openness and for your courage of, of inviting and for all of you no, to, to being well, here and, and your openness and your trust and on behalf of us all we'd like to thank you so much for mm -hmm. taking Please. such an inconvenience to come all the way nah, to New Zealand okay. and uh, we certainly <coughs> found your association invaluable and very insightful <coughs> inspirational and uplifting and um, I'm sure we can all all attest to that with all the spirits yeah. <coughs> the same it's reciprocal it's yeah. reciprocal so it's, it's two-way street so it's coming in both directions to the, the uh, healthy nature of this type of mm. way of approaching mm. Sanya so mm. I, I very much appreciate and uh, on behalf of all of us we'd like to invite you again to come <laughs> back here <laughs> and, thank you um, yeah before we all go, I'd like to get a group photo with all of us together, wouldn't it? Why not? Be nice. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> we have to honor. We have to honor the principle, of course. Okay. Thank you so much. Sri Sachinandan Gorhari ki jai, Sri Hari Nam Sankirtan ki jai, Sadhu Sangh ki jai.
खाति खाति यात्रा की जाए घोर प्रेमानंद हरि बोल वंशकल्पतरुभिष्ठा के पास सिंधुभिये वचापतितानं पवानेभिये वैष्णवेभिये नम आनंद कोति वैष्णवेभिये नम की जाए घोर हरि बोल